This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Straight away to the Word of God, to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Moses, the great servant of God, is dead. God has buried him. And now Joshua is commander in chief. And he has brought the children of Israel now to the edge of the promised land. They've still got across the Jordan River, which uh, is a miracle in itself. Can I just say as a little aside, uh, whenever Gary and I was at the Jordan River on January, uh, we had to walk down several uh, wooden steps to get right down to where the river was. And we looked at it, and to be honest, it really wasn't impressive at all. It wasn't that deep, certainly wasn't wide. And uh, we were looking at it kind of wondering what all the fuss was about, trying to remember this story of how they crossed the Jordan. But then the guide made us all turn around. He said, I want you to look up there where you came from. And there was a a plaque up on the railings. And at a certain date, just a few years ago, it had risen to 13 meters. (laughs) And uh, so then you can realize, boy, that that is some flood, isn't it? And that's what they had to cross through. So it obviously was very deep and very wide at that point. But anyway, that's just an aside. And so now they're getting ready to cross over. Uh, But before they do that, they're going to have to spy out the land. The last time the land was spied out, 12 spies went out. Only two came back with a positive report. So this time Joshua, having learned that lesson, uh, now he just sends out two. And uh, the object was to go in and to check the land, but particularly uh, to look at Jericho, this great wall city with its ramparts because this was a fortified city and this was the first city that they were going to have to take uh, in order to continue on to possess the land. And so in verse 1 of chapter 2, now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. And so the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And so she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men meant, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords, And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now therefore they lay down, and she came up to them on the roof and said to them, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know that the Lord has given you the land. So in the midst of this wicked, debauched, sinful city, here is a woman, even though she was a harlot, yet she believed in the Lord. She believed the Lord existed. I'm not saying she followed the Lord, but she believed the Lord existed and believed that he was mighty. And so I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And so she's assuming, and they're all assuming, that if he dried up the Red Sea, then the Jordan would be no problem. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's some statement, isn't it? From a harlot. That's some statement of faith, actually. And God will take faith where he finds it. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, which would probably be her nieces and nephews, and deliver our lives from death. Household salvation. <laughs> wanted every member of her household to be saved, to be rescued, to be spared. And so the man answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. Now remember that. We'll come to that later. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide these three days until the pursuers have returned, and afterwards you may go your way. And so the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window, through which you let us down, unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. And so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid upon him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you have made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and went to the mountain and stayed three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all the way but did not find them. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and crossed over. They came to Joshua the son of Nun and told them all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted 
because of us. This scarlet rope cord, Rahab's rope, has ever been a type of the blood of Christ. Jericho was a condemned city. The only ones who could be saved were the ones in Rahab's house under the protection of the scarlet rope. Just like in Egypt, when the death angel passed over, only those who were in the house where the blood was applied to the doorposts and the lentils could be saved. And just like in Egypt, anyone who ventured out of the house when the death angel passed over or when the Israelites came into Jericho, they would be slain. And so, this world stands condemned before a holy God, awaiting its judgment. And surely the judgment of God will come. And God in his mercy has extended his grace for this past 2,000 years. Such is his mercy and his long-suffering. But it will come to an end, and his judgment will fall. And only those who are in Christ, only those who are under the blood, will be saved. Everyone in this city, whether king or slave, rich or poor, young or old, bond or free, were appointed unto death. And only those who believed in the scarlet rope would be saved. That's why we still preach today about the blood. Thank God for the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This book talks about blood from beginning to end. Somebody said if you'd cut this book, it would bleed. So the blood is vitally important. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, sadly, in the church today, there are many increasingly who does not want to talk about the blood or preach about the blood or even sing about the blood. They say it's offensive. It's off-putting. The non-believers do not understand it. And it sounds gory. So they leave it out. What a shame for any church or any preacher to leave out speaking and preaching and singing about the blood of Christ. It has always been an offense. The cross has always been an offense. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 and 11 talks about the offense of the cross. He says, then is the offense of the cross ceased? So it's always been an offense. Certainly, in Jesus' day, it was a great offense. I know that we wear crosses around our necks and have them homes and all the rest of it, but... Uh, in those days, no one, no one in their right mind would exalt a cross, an instrument of death, except the believers. It's not an offense to us. We look at the cross and we wonder at the sacrifice that was made for each of us. And we thank God for the cross. We boast in the cross of Christ. But they say it's too offensive. Some denominations 
have actually begun to take anything to do with the blood out of their songs and their hymnals. The great Northern Ireland songwriters, Keith and Kristen Getty, has written many beautiful hymns. Their whole idea is to introduce hymns back into the church. I think that's a good idea. And in their most famous one, In Christ Alone, if I just may quote a verse from it, In Christ Alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Listen. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. And that statement, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. The Presbyterian Church in America took that out of their hymn books to their everlasting shame because they said they do not believe that God would allow his son to die such a cruel and wicked death for our sins. They said a God of love would never do that. And I say only a God of love would do that. Only a God of love would allow his son to die for us such a cruel death. But that's the world that we live in today. And so no one in this city was to be spared. No one was to be taken alive. No one was to be made captive or a slave. Everyone was appointed unto death. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. And every person who rejects Christ, who goes through their whole life hearing again and again, but rejects Christ, will one day face the judgment of God. And the God who judged them will be Jesus Christ. The one they refused will become their judge. In Revelation chapter 20, in verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great throne, and him who sat in it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so they will not stand before God to see, well, let's see if your good has outweighed your bad. That's not what that's saying. That's letting them know why exactly they're condemned to eternal death. The record is against them. And if only they had to come to Christ, that record which was against them, which was nailed to his cross, will be taken away and they'll be given a brand new life. And so, here we are.
this scarlet rope. Imagine, if you will, Rahab going to her family. She's talked to the two spies. She knows what's coming. She knows it's only going to be a matter of days. Not weeks, but days. They're just at the other side of the river. Everybody can see them. The camp is there. And so she runs to her family. She the harnet. She the one who brought them shame and disgrace to the family. And she runs and tells them about the wrath of God that's coming and about the judgment of God that's going to fall in the city and that they could be saved. Imagine, she's telling them about God's wrath. She's telling them about they could be saved. And she's the harlot. And you think it's hard to witness to your family? <laughs> really? But she did a good job. She must have pleaded earnestly. She must have pleaded with all of her might. And whatever she said, and however she said it, it got through. And her whole family <coughs> believed in her. Her whole family trusted if they would go to her house. And if that scarlet rope was outside dangling from her window, that somehow they would be saved. Now there's those who say that eventually everybody will be saved. It's called universalism. <laughs> it's an old lie from the pit of hell that raises its head every few generations. Universalism, everybody will be saved. Every sinner will be saved. Every demon in hell will be saved. The devil himself will be saved. <laughs> what a fallacy. What a ridiculous fallacy. Only those who put their trust in Jesus Christ and him alone will be saved. But there's those who say that God is such a God of love that he would never send anybody to hell. Well, Jesus said that hell wasn't made for human beings. It was made for the devil and his angels. It was made for those rebels that rebelled even in heaven and was cast out. And if a man or a woman goes through all their lifetime rebelling against God and rebelling against the Son of God and rebelling against the Word of God and rebelling against the Spirit of God, you can be sure God will never allow them into his heaven. Because if rebels were in heaven, it wouldn't be heaven. Sure it wouldn't. <laughs> it would be hell in heaven. But he never will allow rebels in heaven. So where else are they going to go to? The place that was prepared for those original rebels. It's not a popular message that, sure it's not. It used to be. But then you get accused of being a hellfire preacher. Jesus talked about hellfire. He's very clear about it. Mm -hmm. 
So hell will be the destination of those who reject his son. John 3, 18, he that believes not is condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's the thing that condemns a man. That's the thing. He has not believed, he's not trusted, he has not put his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's the only thing will save him. It's the only thing will take him out from under condemnation. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because already condemned. He came in to save and to deliver. And so every man or every woman, every boy, every girl who trusts in Jesus will not be condemned. Thank God. There might have been religious people in Jericho. but the religion would never save them. There's lots of people religious today, but it's not going to save them. There's people today who go to church faithfully every week, and they're not saved. And they think they're good enough to get to heaven. There's people who sing in church choirs, and they're not saved. I've met them. I've talked to them but they love singing in the choir. That's what one lady told me. She says, I know I'm not saved, but I love singing in the choir. I says, but you're lost. I know that, but I love singing in the choir. Hmm. There's preachers behind pulpits that are not saved. Actually. My mother's former Presbyterian minister, this is going back many, many years, he wasn't saved. How do I know? Because he told her one day. He went to Australia on a holiday, got saved in Australia, came back, came to my mother, and he says, Mrs. Gowdy, I have to tell you something. I have good news to tell you. She says, what is it? She says, I got saved when I was in Australia. A Presbyterian minister, saved in Australia. And I had preached in that church for years. John Wesley, the great John Wesley, and his brother Charles, they were very, very religious men. Sought God. They had a, a club at Oxford that was nicknamed the Holy Club. And them and others joined it to read the scriptures and to pray. And then he was ordained. They established church and got a call to go to the colonies in America. Hmm. To Savannah in Georgia to pastor a church and to preach to the Indians. And after two years, he came back defeated, depressed, beaten down, felt he had, was a complete and utter failure. But on the way over to America, he met some Moravians, godly Moravians. So when he came back to England, he decided, I'll go along to the Moravians. And he went along there. Never did join them, but went along to their meetings. And one night, he said, I didn't feel like it. I didn't really want to go, but I went anyway. He went to Aldergate Street in London. 24th of May, 19, sorry, 24th of May, 1738. He was sitting listening to one of the Moravians given the preface 
to the Epistle to the Romans by Martin Luther. Just the preface. Where, it talks, where he talked about faith in Christ, trusting Jesus and faith in Christ. And he said, at that moment, my heart was strangely warmed. And at that moment, he said, I put my trust in Christ and I knew that I trusted him as my Savior and my Lord. And you know the rest of the history it out to be the greatest preacher that England had ever known. <laughs> and Methodism is all over the world today. But for all that time before, with all of that effort and all of that good trying and all of that religiosity, he wasn't saved. Till that night, he felt his heart strangely warmed. He put his trust in the Savior. And so, people may have churchianity, but not Christianity. They may have plenty of religion, but not a personal relationship with the Savior. They need to believe in the blood that was shed for them. And that's what this rope is a symbol of for us in the New Testament. Let me just continue here. I want you to We've read chapter 2. I want you to skip 3, 4, and 5 because that speaks of crossing over the Jordan and all that that entailed before and afterwards. But now we're coming to the destruction of Jericho. So chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was, secu sorry, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. And you shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Then skip on to verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day. They marched around the city seven times in the same manner, and on that day only they marched around the city seven times. The seventh time it happened, then the priests blew the trumpets. And Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord for destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things lest you become a curse when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. In other words, don't plunder and loot for yourself. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. 
Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. Wait a minute. Where was the harlot's house? Was it not on the wall? Did it not say in chapter 2, verse 15? Did it not make that clear to us that her house was on the wall of the city? But sure, the walls of the city has fallen down flat. So what does that tell us? That the only part of the wall of that whole city that stood was the part where Rahab's house was. Well, the scarlet rope was that was safe and sound. What does that tell us? It tells us that our whole world around us may be crashing and falling, but if we're under the blood, we shall be still standing under house. Glory to God. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver, the gold, the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, all that she had, so she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua had sent to spy out Jericho. <laughs> Don't know how many was in her family. Eight, ten, twelve, who knows? But what we do know that every single one of them was spared because of that scarlet rope. Thank God for the blood that saves and delivers and sets free. Now let me just end with just a little tailpiece here. We read this morning just as a part of the overall message but not the message about Ruth and Naomi how that now, Ruth came back with Naomi from the land of Moab and how she was gleaning in the fields as a poor widow. She met Boaz, that very wealthy farmer and landowner who fell in love with her. And they got married. And they had a little child called Obed. And Obed had a child called Jesse and Jesse had a child called David. King David he would be. And we know that Jesus Christ is often called David's greater son because of his lineage. But in Second Chronicles chapter 2, if I may just read this little portion. I was going to go back to Ruth there, but... This, this will suffice. Second Chronicles chapter 2. 
And this is the, the lineage of David from the tribe of Judah. But if we can just break in, in verse 11, it says, Nashon begot Salma, which is uh, Salmon. See this New Testament in a moment. But it's the same person, Salma, and Salmon's the same person. Nashon begot Salma, and Salma begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, Jesse begot David, as you read on. And as I said this morning, when we looked at the lineage, when we were talking about Ruth, it didn't mention the woman in the lineage, only the man. But when you come to the lineage of Christ, in Matthew chapter 1, then you see the woman mentioned. Chapter 1, verse 4, Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. <laughs> so this great, wealthy, farmer, landowner that was a kinsman to Naomi that married Ruth, that through that lineage came Christ, guess what? She was the son of Rahab, the harlot. <laughs> could it be, we can't say for sure, but could it be that Salmon maybe was one of those two spies that she had saved? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'd like to think that it was. I wish the Holy Spirit would tell us, but he doesn't. But what we do know was whoever Salmon was, he married the harlot who now was pure enough for the arms of any man saved by the blood. <laughs> and from her comes Boaz that God raises up to be a great man in the country. And from that lineage comes the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Little did Rahab know when she hid those spies and she put that scarlet rope out just to save her and her family. Little did she know that one day, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, that preachers all over the world would be talking about her because she's in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't God good? There's no telling what God can do with a life that's saved and living for Jesus. There's no telling the influence that you may have beyond what you ever imagine <laughs> and just because you're saved and you're living for Christ. So thank God for the blood tonight. Amen? Let's never be ashamed. Let's never stop talking about it or singing about it or praising God for the blood of His Son because that's what saved us from a lost eternity and saved us for all eternity. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, we stop and we give you thanks that your blood still prevails and still avails for us today. We thank you that there's millions the world over that are saved because of the blood. And even as we speak all over the world right now, there are tens of thousands of people who are coming into the kingdom of God because they have put their faith and trust in the blood of the Lamb. So we thank you, Lord, for its power 
to cleanse, to set free, to change lives. And Lord, we're blessed because we have trusted you. So we give you thanks for all these things and thank you for your most precious word that enlightens us and encourages us and strengthens us and reminds us of who you are and what you've done. Even the Old Testament that's so full, Lord, of shadows of which you are the substance. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.